0: Ezekiel chapter 30 is our text tonight. We've been moving well through this particular uh, prophecy in the particular book. Uh, We're inching ever so closely to the uh, passages dealing with Gog and Magog. I just want to throw that out there because I I know we're going to be interested in hearing about what's going on because... A lot of the setup for that is actually happening today, in 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 the world, especially in the Middle East and in uh, Asia, Russia, all of these uh, nations that we hear about, uh, and 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 to some extent even our own nation. And of course, we'll we'll talk about that when we when we get there. But. Uh, you know, I just it get closer and closer, doesn't it? It's 30 now. We're just just a few chapters away. <laughs> but we got to deal with the issues at hand, and that is, of course, the judgments upon the nation of of uh, the nation of Egypt, which we began last week in chapter 29, the prophecy against Egypt. Tonight, we're looking at something that's, that is set up pretty much like uh, the lamentation. Uh, that was uh, given for Tyre, this is uh, a lamentation for, for, um, for Egypt. And so it is a cry because of the, the, the judgment that God is bringing upon a nation, a wailing that is to take place. We're told in verses 1 through 5, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Howl ye, woe worth the day. Or, as in some of your translations, it says, Alas for the day. Woe worth the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. The sword shall come upon Egypt. And great pain shall be in Ethiopia, when the slain shall fall in Egypt and they shall take away her multitude and her foundations shall be broken down, Ethiopia and Libya and Lydia and all the mingled people in in Chub, and the men of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. You know, there are times when I wonder intensely as to whether people in general but more specifically people in the church actually get the seriousness of the times in which we live and understand the ominous and threatening nature of the Lord's coming judgment upon the nations I truly wonder whether we understand you know the the, the the depth of the seriousness of God's judgments. The fact of the matter is we see them. Sometimes we see them, you know, when we turn our TVs on and we see certain things happening, whether it be by, by natural uh, causes as, as, as it goes, you know, with the hurricanes and, and earthquakes and, and whatnot. That is part of the judgment when you, when you dig deep into the Word. Or by nations that are receiving some kind of, of, of justice or judgment uh, because of certain positions that they may hold against against God. But when God's judgment comes, as the scriptures have been crying out, for, you know, th- from from Genesis all the way through Malachi, and then of course with with the with, with with the apostles and and the writers of the of the New Testament uh, picking up on that you know going through the uh, you know the prophetic languages of, of Paul and John and and uh and Revelation that uh, it it's going to be a a very sad and stormy day of gloom what judgment is coming to the nations this message to the nation of Egypt was 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 the only one of, of, of the seven that we've been covering that, that the Lord did not date. We don't have a date on this one like the others. More than likely because it immediately followed the previous message. But but what needs to be noted here more than anything is, is the phrase the day of the Lord. If you look there in, in verse 3 and you see that phrase. For the day is near even the day of the Lord is near. For it would be a time of judgment, not, not only for Egypt, but also for the nations. As we're told there in, in, uh, in verse 3, it shall be the time of the heathen. And the word heathen there, you know, sometimes we get a kind of interesting thought about heathen things, you know. Well, we know what it means. I mean, to, to be a heathen is somebody who just doesn't love God or wants to serve God or whatever. But biblically speaking, a heathen is just a goy. G-O-Y is, is the Hebrew word goy, uh, which, which means n- uh, nation. And uh, we have the word goyim in, in Hebrew, uh, which, which means Gentile. So it's really speaking of the Gentile nations. So you see the word goy or goyim in, in the Hebrew, and you're talking about any nation that's not Israel. Okay, so it's just everybody else. It's Israel and everybody else. So the phrase the day of the Lord can refer either to any period of judgment or to a time of great tribulation in the last days of human history. It isn't just a 24-hour day, it is a day that that actually extends over a period of time. What we are uh, what, what what is going to be happening what we've been studying as we've gone through uh, the the most you know prophetic books of the Old Testament, along with the book of Revelation, is that, that uh, greater understanding of the, the day of the Lord being the seven years of great tribulation that uh, that is going to happen for Israel to come to the Lord, to come to the Lord completely. And, uh, and that, of course, is uh, to happen after the rapture of the church, and then before the coming the second coming of Jesus Christ with all of his saints to set up his kingdom uh, in Jerusalem for a thousand years. So what we see about uh, the period of judgment or the Great Tribulation is probably referring to both here in this particular judgment. There are two facts that support this position. First of all, the Lord used the term the day of the Lord as he pronounced judgment on both Egypt and the nations. So that's pretty much the general idea of the fact that this is going to be happening the day of the Lord. But secondly, he said that God's judgment would stir up the Egyptians to acknowledge him as the one true God. Now, you can read that in verse 19. We'll get there in just a moment. But as with all the other nations, this prophecy won't be fulfilled where, you know, the Egyptians and, and, and all the nations will acknowledge him as the one true God. It's not going to happen until the Messiah returns and establishes his kingdom on this earth. So, in effect, we we see then both of those aspects covered. The fact that uh, there is a general uh, day of the Lord that is being warned uh, about, and then there is going to be that period of time that is yet to come that we said is that seven-year period of of judgment or tribulation, as it were. Uh, the whole thing is the, the tribulation. The last three and a half years is the, is the great tribulation. So now to grasp the seriousness of this time coming, you know, the day of the Lord, uh, the day of his anger and his wrath, we have to consider at least an understanding of what the day of the Lord is about. What is happening on the day of the Lord? See, I, I want to make a distinction between the day of the Lord that we're talking about here as far as judgment And what you see sometimes in in the New Testament where it talks about the day of Christ. The day of Christ really points to the coming of Jesus for his church. We're not going to go into the great details about that right now, but that's pretty much what it is. There's just that distinction. The day of Christ is the day that he comes for his people. There are certain places where you can look that up, you know, look that up and and kind of study the, the phrasing about that. But the day of the Lord, which is... Uh, alas, for the day of the Lord is here, or the day of the Lord is near, then, then we're dealing with judgment. We're dealing actually with the other uh, aspect of, of, uh, of the end time. And so, consider if you will, Joel chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Because in Joel, actually in all three chapters here, you know of, of Joel, the first three chapters, is, is, is really all about the day of the Lord. Notice in verses 14 and 15, it says, sanctify ye a fast, <coughs> call a, a, sol- a solemn asem- assembly. So, s- sanctify ye a fast, which means set apart a fast. You, you, you set apart a fast because something, uh, you know, God is, is going to get ready to do. And then call a solemn assembly, which means gather the people together. And many times they gathered the people together with the blast of a trumpet a trumpet of warning, a trumpet of assembly. And, and then it says, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry, it says, unto the Lord, alas, there's that word alas. Now, I'll talk about alas when we get back to that, that statement that we read earlier in verse 2. Son of man prophesy I say, thus saith the Lord, How howl ye, uh, woe worth the day. Well, here it says, alas for the day. It's very same thing, really. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. So the day of the Lord is one time that deals with destruction. It deals with judgment. If you go to the next chapter, chapter 2, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh or near at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. Now what did we read earlier in in, in uh, uh, in, in verse uh, uh, 3? That it's a day of uh, a cloudy day. So here we see the consistency of what the day of the Lord is all about. It says, it is a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and a thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall uh, be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. You see the same warning given in the book of Isaiah chapter 13. In Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, notice again the wording that is that is very similar to Joel and to uh, Ezekiel, but also then notice what is added to it. It says, how will ye? for the day of the Lord is at hand? It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. Pain as a woman that travails as in, in childbirth. That's a connection to the understanding of the end time. We see that not only in the Old Testament, but also in the, in the New Testament. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Now, what we need to understand here is that God is serious about these things. This is not just, you know, language to kind of, you know, be, be dramatic or, or even melodramatic. I mean, it, it's language that says, hey, there comes a time when all of the, the, the grace that has been given for everybody to turn and to repent and, and the time of mercy, it, it's going to come to an end. So it's, it's, best, it's best now to get right with God. The fact of the matter is, we're so close to that time, it is best now to get right with God if we haven't gotten right with God already. So, it says, He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. The small little book Obadiah, in in, in, in verse 15 of Obadiah 1, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen nations, the goy, the, as, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. The Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. So, that just gives you a little bit of a picture that this day of the Lord is a serious time. It's, it's something not to be taking uh, for granted, or, or you know, not to take it for granted. Uh, you know, we have to, we have to trust that uh, there's, there's reasons why God is, is, is being so strong in, in, in the message. Getting back to our text, the storm of judgment was about to strike Egypt and the nations, now, I also have to interject here that there, there are near-fulfillments and far-fulfillments. The near-fulfillment has, has happened already, but it's, it's pointing to a, another time as well to come. And realize this, they're still in Egypt. There was an Egypt then that was a totally different kind of Egypt than there is now. And you'll see that here in just a moment. It's, you know, when, when, it, when, this, when this storm of judgment struck Egypt then, I mean, it would be a time of doom that would, would involve death, and destruction, and the loss of all wealth. The prophet Ezekiel was even commanded to, to tell the people to howl. He said, "He tell them howl, he says. Howl ye, woe, worth the day. Now, that, that word there is, is uh, worth, woe, worth the day, is is, is is one little hebrew word called ah that's that's the word and it is like saying tell go out there and hell. ah alas sadly Regrettably unhappily the day. The day refers to that time in which the Lord was to use the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar to chastise the people of the land of Egypt for their idolatry and their corruption. The expression, as I said, the time of the heathen, is similar to the expression used by the Lord Jesus in Luke 21 verse 24, where there he is expounding on on the issues of, of the end times. And he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, the Goyim, until the times of the Gentiles, the times of the heathen, the times of the nations, be fulfilled. We're still there. These are the times of the nations. In fact, isn't it interesting that we have something called the United Nations that are making such tremendous plays against Israel and against Jerusalem and against the Israelis who we can say are the Israelites of today. And it's all about Jerusalem. But there are some distinctions between what we see in Ezekiel and what we see here with Jesus in Luke. For example, the time of the nations here in Ezekiel was the time when judgment was to fall upon the nations surrounding the land of promise, Israel. The nations with which the people of Israel had traded with for years. Now understand this. Israel trades with people. They trade with Nations even like Jordan and Egypt, being a couple of them that they have relations with, but it doesn't mean that they're friendly. We were friends with them until the last administration. and you know that's being rebuilt again in, in this new administration of the United States. But the nations which the people of Israel had traded with for years and, f- and from some they had suffered greatly even. So that's what, what the, the, the time of the heathen is, is, is about dealing with Israel and, and, and the nations surrounding them. But in Luke uh, in the Luke passage, Jesus used the expression of the times of the Gentiles to cover the entire period, During which Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and the people of the Jews are under Gentile domination. And that began with the rise of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's still in progress, as I mentioned. All these nations are the ones that are trying to dictate what takes place in God's city, in Zion, in Jerusalem. This is where God set his home. There's, there's no other nation. He didn't say, well, we'll start in Jerusalem, and then we'll put something over here and over there. And over. No, no, no. Right here. Nowhere else. And it's going to continue until the Lord himself appears from heaven at the second coming to judge the nations and set up his heavenly kingdom on the throne of David. So getting back now to, to the Ezekiel statement of the, the judging of the, of the nations of the heathen. Nebuchadnezzar's sword was, to, the sword was to come upon Egypt, and not only Egypt, but also the lands adjoining it, as well as the land right across the sea from them, the Mediterranean. So there was Ethiopia mentioned here in the text. Notice in verse 5 Ethiopia and Libya and Lydia and all the mingled people, and Chub, not Chub, Chub. Okay. I don't like the word Chub. Khub. It's actually could be Kub. But Ethiopia Ethiopia, for example, uh is, is called Kush in the scriptures. Here it is called Ethiopia, but it's called Kush. Kush actually uh, contains uh, the nations that today we know as Somalia and Sudan and parts of northern Ethiopia. That's Kush or what is considered Ethiopia here in the text, and then Libya is also called Put P U T, Put. Libya is mentioned here uh, uh, specifically, and then Lydia, and and in the Hebrew it's Lud L U uh, D transliterated, but Lud, but it's Lydia, and Lydia was was the we- was the west coast of Asia Minor or Turkey, that is the nation that is right across the the sea from them. And then Khub, or Khub, was a part of Libya in the desert, uh, northern Africa. And the mingled people, interestingly enough, the mingled people, if you have that in your text, uh, but it says the mingled people is actually referring to Arabia because the word for mingled people is Arab. And that is the root word for Arab or Arabia. So the men, then the next phrase that you find there is the men of the land in the league. I'm I'm sorry, the men of the land that is in league with Egypt may be referring to the Jews who migrated to Egypt and carried Jeremiah with them. And you see that, uh, you can read that in Jeremiah 42. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a a scripture from there in just a moment. But even then, see, those Jews would not escape. They would not escape the judgment. So once once they're in league with Egypt, they're they're going to get the judgment. And they can't escape the judgment. Uh, Consider in Jeremiah 42 what it says. It says, now therefore, uh, this is verse 22. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword. This is God speaking to these Jews that were going toward Egypt. He says, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence in the place whither you desire to go into sojourn. So he's saying, you know, if you're going to go over there, you're going to get judged. In fact, they were the ones that carried, they were carrying Jeremiah over there. And then in in Jeremiah 44, verses 13 and 14, it says, For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem, By the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah, which are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, shall escape or remain, that they should return into the land of Judah, to the which they have a desire to return to dwell there. For none shall return but such as shall escape. So if they heed the word of God, and they escape and say, well, you know, if if that's going to happen to me, then I'm going to go back. You know, that's the only way that they're going to escape the judgment. But once they commit themselves to go to Egypt, they're going to be judged. So, three things are going to happen when the storm of judgment would strike Egypt and her allies. And that takes us back to Ezekiel 30, verses 6 through 9. Let's look at these uh, few verses here. Thus saith the Lord, They also that uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down. There's pride again. Now remember, Nations are built on pride. Nations are built on pride. He, Israel, in a sense, was not built on, on pride. They have a national pride, every nation does. But they weren't built on pride. You, you know, if you read, there's, there's a great scripture. I, I've, got to, I've got to turn there, you guys don't mind. It's not a, in my notes here. But, but uh, it, it's, it's a, a familiar passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And it says there, uh, in verses 6 and 7, it says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord, thy God. the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are on the face of the earth. Now, what, do you, what, what, what can you be prideful of in that? I mean, it's God, because God chose you. You didn't choose him. And that's what he says in the next verse. He says, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. The ones that with more in number of course they would be prideful we're more in number we're bigger than everybody else you know He says but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto the fathers as the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bond uh, of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt So think about that for just a moment what kind of pride does Israel have they they were nothing and God and God loved them anyway Isn't that us? I mean, when you think about it, isn't that us? You know, we who have come to the Lord? I mean, we didn't come pridefully to the Lord. No, in fact, we died because of pride. Hey, that rhymes. We died because of pride. But we live because of him. And the only thing that we can be proud of, is nothing to be proud of. Because the only thing we brought to our salvation was our sin. So, consider that. I took a little detour. Thanks for letting me go there. So, we read, Thus saith the Lord, They also that uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down from the tower of Sien, which is down in the south, Uh, shall they fall in it by the sword, saith the Lord God, south of Egypt. Uh... And they shall be desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. And her cities shall be in the midst of the cities that are wasted. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I have set a fire in Egypt and when all her helpers shall be destroyed. And that day shall messengers go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid. And great pain shall come upon them as in the day of Egypt, for lo, it cometh. It cometh. The judgment cometh. First of all, the people's pride, as as we were saying earlier, in their nation's power would fail. That is, of course, Egypt's pride. Verses 6 and 7. Throughout all these lands, people would be slaughtered by the thousands, and the cities would be devastated and left desolate. Secondly, the people would acknowledge that the Lord is the only living true God. This is the second thing that's happening because of the judgment. The people would, would acknowledge that the Lord is the only living and true God. They would know that the only Lord could have predicted such devastation, in, uh, that only the Lord could have predicted such devastation in detail and brought it to pass. God's judgment would vindicate his word and his name. And thirdly, the, the complacent Ethiopians would be terrified when they receive word of Egypt's destruction. They depended a lot on Egypt. You know, they they had that kind of a bond that uh, they were somewhat subservient to Egypt, but, you know, still they they depended upon Egypt to be their strength and, and their protector, in a sense, for them to exist. But that same spirit of fear and deep anguish is gripping people today as they watch the events of the present unfolding right before their eyes. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, all the statistics about heart, heart disease and heart failure and all kinds of heart issues that are going on, a lot of that, a lot of that is, is just out of the fear of, of, of what's happening in the world today, or the fear of, of not having enough to, to, to take care of, of home and family, to take care of, uh, you know, the needs, uh, the daily needs. And, and that think about that. As Christians, what, what, are we, what are we told by the Lord himself? You know, he said, pray in this manner. In this manner. He didn't, he didn't say pray this prayer. He said, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what does he do? Every day he gives us our daily bread. We don't have to beg. We don't beg. We, we, don't, we just trust. We trust. And we obey. And God honors. And he blesses. Some have more, some have less, but all have when you think about it. I don't want to generalize it too much, but, but that's, that's really what it is. But people without the Lord, they, they, they don't know. They depend upon an administration. They depend upon a government. Some people have depended completely on a government for, for everything. Well, God is not God, God is our only government. When it comes down to it, he's king. And he's provider. And he's the source. And he's the giver of life but he's also the judge. And there's a sense that we have to remember the justice of the Lord with the mercy of the Lord and the grace of our God and the love of our God and the provision of our God. So, we're told in Luke twenty-one twenty-six, men's hearts failing them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. <laughs> we, we as Christians, you know, sometimes we 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 do the same thing. We just, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? Well, no, we know if you get into God's word, you know what's happening. Again, I don't want to generalize, but you know, if you're studying the word of God, you know what's going to happen. So, what is our prayer then? Oh Lord. Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. Because this is telling us it's just around the corner. Your return. I don't mean to take it lightly. I'm not taking it lightly. I'm just trying to say, you know, that sometimes we, we ourselves say we trust God, but are, do we really trust God? Sometimes we, 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 sometimes we trust Fox News more than we trust the Lord. We think they're going to give us all the answers. man. They're not going to give us the answers. They're going, to tell, they're going to tell us what's going on in the world, but they don't give us the answer. The answer, the only answer, is Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He's the only answer. He's the answer for Israel. He's the answer for the world. So once again, the Lord emphasizes, you know, if I keep taking these little rabbit trails here and there on we may not. We may be here till ten. So I better hurry up. Once again, the Lord emphasizes that the, that the storm, the storm of judgment, would be executed by God's appointed agent, who was Nebuchadnezzar. Notice verses ten through twelve. Thus saith the Lord God. And, and I want you to notice how many I wills. Every time you see I will, that God says, underline it or highlight it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the terrible of the nations, shall be brought to destroy the land, and they shall draw the swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. And I will make the rivers dry and sell the land into the hand of the wicked. And I will make the land waste and all that is therein by the hand of strangers I, the Lord, have spoken it. We see the ruthlessness of the Babylonians in this passage filling the land with the dead along with, the, with destroying the streams and the irrigation canals of the Nile. They, they would plunder the land of all of its wealth. Whatever, you know, everything existed in, in Egypt because of the Nile River. I mean, the, the Nile, to a certain extent, was their God. They depended upon the Nile for food. They depended upon the Nile for water. They depended upon the Nile, you know, for, for, for the, you know, the fertileness of the land around it. If you ever see a map of, of, of ancient Egypt, I mean, everything exists. All the major cities were all just along the river, all the way down. I'll mention some of those cities here in just a moment. But the the Babylonians who had already conquered Judah, they were now getting ready to conquer Egypt, and they would plunder the land of all of its wealth, and Egypt would be totally devastated. And the Lord himself guaranteed the judgment. Listen to Isaiah 19. I'll just read to you very quickly. Isaiah 19, verses 4 through 6. It says, And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord, and the fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up. And they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up. The reeds and flags shall wither. And that is what happened. devastated by the Babylonians. And then the storm of judgment would be inescapable. It would be inescapable. Verses 13 through 19, Thus saith the Lord God, I will destroy the idols. That was the reason, the very reason why he was was bringing judgment. I will destroy the idols and I will cause their images to cease out of Nuf, and there shall be no more uh, prince of the land of Egypt and I will put a fear in the land of Egypt, and I will make Pothros desolate, and I will set fire in Zoan, and will execute judgments in No. No is, 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 a, is a city. Uh, and I will pour my fury upon sin. Sin is also a city. The strength of Egypt, and I will cut off the multitude of No. And I will set fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great pain, and no shall be rent asunder, and no shall have distresses daily. The young men of Avin and of Pibeseth shall fall by the sword, and these cities shall go into captivity. At uh, Tephanes also the day shall be darkened. I I took the shortcut with Tephanes, because that's that's how it is in some of the more modern transliterations. This one is Tehufnehes. You see why I said Tefanhes? A lot easier. All right, uh, Tefanhes. Also, the day shall be darkened when I shall break their yoke. Uh, there, the yokes of Egypt, and the pomp of her strength shall cease in her. As for her, a cloud shall cover her, and her daughters shall go into captivity. Thus, uh, will I execute judgments in Egypt, and they shall know that I am the Lord. All the major cities of Egypt would be totally destroyed, and no one would escape. Nof, N-O-P-H, Nof, was the city of Memphis, not not Tennessee. Memphis in Egypt. And Memphis was the capital of Middle Egypt. Now, there is Upper Egypt, Middle Egypt, and Lower Egypt. Upper Egypt was here. Middle Egypt was here. Lower Egypt was here. you know why that is? Because the Nile flowed up. It didn't flow down. It flowed up, it flows up. And so. They saw the, you know, they kind of just turned around. They said, okay, well, that's a, it's coming from the, you know, the south, but it's the north for them, you know. It's like, it's crazy. But that's how it is. You look at some maps, historical maps, and you realize. Uh, so I, That's why I started with Memphis, because Memphis is right in the middle. So we'll start in the middle. Middle's always middle. So Memphis was the capital of Middle Egypt, and, this, and, this, and it was the stronghold of idols. Uh, pharaohs would no longer rule in Egypt. As we saw, no prince in the land anymore, not like before. Pathros was Upper Egypt, which, of course, meaning Southern Egypt, since the Nile, as I said, flowed in the northern direction. And then No, the city of No was was the was the city of Thebes, T H E B E S, Thebes or Thebes, Uh, and that was the capital of uh, of the. Upper Egypt, and, and was known for its magnificent buildings, of which only ruins remain today. The mention of sin is, is not about its spiritual condition, though it would be appropriate. Uh, it was actually the city of Pelusium, Pelusium, the, front, the frontier fortress on the northeast part of Egypt, and it was called the strength or the key of Egypt. It was the safeguard of, of Egypt in the northeastern part. Uh, verse 15 suggests that the Lord would afflict Egypt for, from one end to the other, from one end to, to, to no. So, from, from the north to the south, to the south to the north, God was going to judge and afflict all of Egypt. Verse 16 speaks of Noth having distresses daily, uh, meaning that the enemy would not wait uh, for the cover of darkness to attack the city. They would have distresses at all times. Uh, you know, when you get the upper hand on people, you know you don't have to. You no longer have to sneak up on them. So when you when you get the upper hand on you, just get a, you. You attack them daily, and and this is what it's saying. L- listen, listen to what it says about just about Jerusalem in the scriptures. Jeremiah six verse four says this: "Prepare ye war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon." War went to us, for the day goeth away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. So it, it was like, you know, in battle a lot of times in those days they, they would sneak up because they had the cover of darkness to protect them to go and attack. And, and That's why they always had to have sentries at night to protect their cities. But uh, now they were just coming in the daytime. Uh, Jeremiah 15, verse 8, the same thing. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought upon them against the mother of the young man a spoiler at noonday, it says. <clears throat> I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and terrors upon the city. So again, once, once, they, once they've got you, they, they're just going to keep after you and not wait till evening to get you. They're just going to come af- after you because they've got the upper hand. In verse 17, Oven... Or on, the famous city Heliopolis, was the city of the sun. Uh, Pibeseth was on the eastern branch of the Nile by Arabia. Tephanis was near the present Suez uh, Canal. So these are just landmarks that I'm giving you. But in Jeremiah's day, Pharaoh had a palace in, in the city of Tapanis. And and, uh, by by naming the major cities, the Lord was saying that the strength of the entire nation would be ended like the breaking of a yoke. She would be covered with clouds, a figurative way to express doom and judgment. So again, if you were to look at a a map of, of, uh, of Egypt of that time, all of those cities were all strategically placed along the Nile because the Nile was their life. Their live stream. Not live stream, like some of you watching, but live stream. And uh, so, let's see. She would be covered with clouds, a figurative way to express doom and judgment. Let's read on in verse 20, down to the end now. And it came to pass in the 11th year, in the first month, in the seventh day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I have broken the arm. In other words, I have broken the strength. The strength. The arm of the Lord. When you read about the right hand or the right arm of the Lord, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. He's the strength. The arm of the Lord. Where does does Jesus sit today? At the right hand of the Father. He's the strength of the Lord. And so God says, I've broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And lo, it shall not be bound up to be healed, to put a roller to bind it, to make it strong to hold the sword. In other words, I've broken it. It's completely broken. Won't won't be healed. Um, Therefore, saith the Lord, God, behold... I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and I will break his arms, the strong and that which was broken, and I will cause the sword to fall out of his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and will disperse them through the countries. You know, it's interesting that um, the Egyptians today, its its you, you really don't find Egyptians like the Egyptians of that time, the Pharaoh. Uh, they've become such a mixed race of people. they people that are still from Egypt and all. For example, the leader of the Palestinian Authority back in the 70s, of course, all the way through the 90s, was was Yasser Arafat. He was Egyptian. He was an Egyptian. Now, there are many leaders like that that come out of Egypt and, and are spread throughout what is called today the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, a, a, a tremendous terror organization, by the way. Uh, so. It's it's just interesting that you see how they're scattered. It says here, scattered among the nations, and will disperse them through the countries. And I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms. And he really is emphasizing this breaking of Pharaoh's arms, isn't he? He's just trying to make us realize they're not going to be the same Egypt as they were before. Uh, And he shall groan before him with the groanings of a deadly wounded man. But I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, and the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down. And they shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall stretch it out upon the land of Egypt. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the countries, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So if you'll notice in verse 20, this portion of the judgment did have a date. Now Ezekiel delivered the message on the seventh day of the first month of the eleventh year of his exile, and based on the modern calendar, this would have been April the 29th. Um, I'm sorry, it's 2000, it's 2000. Sorry, April the 29th, 587 BC. Almost four months after he had preached the first message to Egypt, back in chapter 29. But when this message was delivered, the powerful Babylonian army had just soundly defeated Egypt on the battlefield. Pharaoh Hophra had marched his army to Judah in an attempt to rescue it from Babylon. Remember, they had the connection. To meet the threat, Nebuchadnezzar lifted a siege of Jerusalem, and he marched out to face the Egyptian army. Of course, when, when Babylon withdrew its forces from Jerusalem, the Jews were filled with joy because they, they thought that they had been delivered from the Babylonians. But the Lord warned them that the withdrawal was only temporary. They'd return more ferocious than ever. In Jeremiah 34, verses 21 and 22, it tells us, And Zedekiah king of Judah and his princes will I give into the hands of their, hand of their enemies and into the hand of them that seek their life. And into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which are gone up from you. You see, gone up from you, I'm still going to give them to to them. Behold, I will command, saith the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. And they shall fight against it, and take it, and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without an inhabitant. So God says, hey, don't be cheering because you think that you're going to be saved. I already told you, I'm judging you. I already told you that. You've been listening to the wrong prophets. Jeremiah 37, verses 7 through 10 says, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah that sent you unto me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt into their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come again, that being the Babylonians, and fight against this city, and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, Deceive not yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though you had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. I, I believe we've read this passage before, but just, you know, to solidify the understanding that God was serious to his people, Judah, that he was going to judge them. Egypt was self-sufficient, trusting in their own power instead of trusting in the Lord. Down through the ages, Egypt, where the Egyptians had been in, in rebellion against the only living and true God, completely rejecting him, completely ignoring him. Go all the way back to the book of, of Exodus and what Pharaoh said to Moses when Moses would come and say, let my, you know, I, I come in the name of the Lord, let my people go. Complete rejection. How, like so many nations and people today... How many of us are self-sufficient? Even ourselves, individually speaking, how many people are self-sufficient, placing their trust in the arm of the flesh? Nations do it. Individuals do it. But if we cut God out of our lives, if we cut God out of our lives, then we are separated from God. Nations can become separated from God. And that's where Israel was headed, both as a, as a united nation at times and when they, were, when they were a divided nation. Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, divided. The, the southern kingdom had, had, uh, of Judah had good kings and bad kings. The northern kingdom had no good kings, all bad. Because they they bought into the thing about being self-sufficient. They bought into the thing about trusting in other gods and trusting in the flesh rather than trusting in the Lord. What did it bring them but judgment and captivity? The northern kingdom, captivity in Assyria. Southern kingdom, captivity in Babylon. If we cut God out of our lives, then we're separating ourselves from God. We walk through life depending solely upon our own power And nowadays, some people really depend upon technology and science. It's with us all the time. I've got to be really old-fashioned. I mean, I I like books. Books you can read. (laughs) Now, I've got books in this thing, too. I hardly ever read them. wonder why I even bought them. Because I'll just go buy the book and then I carry it with me and I write in it and put my thoughts and my notes in it. I, I've actually seen people walking down the street running into a telephone pole. <laughs> I, I think we've seen some funny things on, you know, YouTube, you know, people doing that and falling into little, you know, fountains and stuff. Getting all wet, their phone gets all messed up. (laughs) got to be careful about that. We we all have some connection, don't we? But it's when you begin to put your trust in those things that you're leaving God out. Now, there's a serious flaw and problem with a self-sufficient approach to life. What happens when crises confront us, when we face tragedy or trial, when we face traumatic situations that a cell phone or an iPad or or a computer could never help with? The arm of the flesh and the ability of science and technology can help us only so far and so much, and then we're on our own. I think people need to heed more of what the Word of God says. When Paul says in First Corinthians ten verse twelve, "Wherefore let him, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall." You know, and I and I think that even we in the church today have to take seriously that that you know, that admonition, that that exhortation. Let him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. When you think that you stand, you're thinking that you stand on your own merits or on your own wisdom or on your own power when honestly we don't. when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, the promise is that he will exalt us in due season. Today is the season of our humble hearts. Today is the season for us to humble ourselves and to give God the praise, to give God all the honor, and all the glory, to exalt the name of Jesus above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. That's yet to come. Very few knees bow nowadays, but one day every knee shall bow, in heaven, on this earth, and even under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue. There used to be a um, commercial for Fram Air, uh, the thing is oil filters. Remember Fram oil filters guy, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s? And, you know, the commercial would say, pay me now. There was a guy, you know, at the the counter at the auto parts store. Pay me now or pay me later. Listen, you can pay homage to God now, but you're going to pay him later if you don't. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Let me close with some words of Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 12. Jesus said, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Nations exalt themselves. Oftentimes wonder, you know, I, I, I listen to People say, you know, that we live in the most powerful nation on the earth. And I, I kind of chuckle. Because right now, we are such a divided nation. And when you're a divided nation, you know, there's, there's, you, you, you've, you've lessened the power of a, of, a, of, a, of a nation that's united in strength. But I think, no, there's another nation that's really powerful. It's a nation of kingdom and priests. It's the exalted nation of God's people that are together, one in, in, in the Lord and in the name of Jesus, and one in the, standing on the word of God and standing by the spirit of God standing with the truth of God. And that is the nation that will come into Jerusalem through the eastern gate following the Messiah to the throne of David. Doesn't that excite you? Excites me. In one month, we're going to leave to Israel. And uh, I'm looking forward to the trip, but wish I was taking more of you all with me you guys can still sign up if you want but you have to kind of drop it all that drop the whole bundle down you know but I can't wait to see that gate every time I see it I think man lord you're going to split that gate open you're going to walk right through with 10,000s of your saints and nobody's going to be able to stop you and there's not going to be anybody there asking for your passport. Or you don't have to go through any metal detector. I'll blast them out of the way. The land's going to split up, and the valley's just going to be wide open. Read Zechariah. That's your homework. Until the rapture. <laughs> All right, I can go on in there. Like, you know what I'm doing? I, I just finished early. I want to know what happened. I, I, I thought I was going to be here until 10. Okay, we finished a little early. Let's pray.